0: Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl,
1: and I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein.
0: Rick, uh, a lot to talk about in the political world, uh, but I, I've got to tell you, just a uh, a moment to uh, to mourn the start of this baseball season. Um, you know, I've, I've, I was so eager to see baseball played again. It's so bizarre to watch it played on you know, watch on television to see it played before no fans whatsoever. Uh, And then we see the Nationals making errors, making running mistakes, just not playing well. And the Nats were supposed to go this week down to Miami, which is usually a good opportunity to actually win some games against the Marlins. Uh, But it turns out basically the entire team is a, it's like a COVID hotspot.
1: Yeah, this is sad, and and if the baseball could, if baseball couldn't get through a weekend. It's hard to see how the how the season proceeds. And of course, going to Miami, you wouldn't have noticed the no fans thing. It would have been totally natural. It, it, it's <laughs> it such a natural, that's yeah. such a shame we don't we don't even get that series. But no, I mean, it, look, it the highlight of the season. Maybe Anthony Fauci, Dr. Fauci, throwing out that first pitch, um, or whatever you want to call it. Um,
0: he was trying to paint the corner as uh, as T.J. Holmes was saying. He was trying to flattening paint the, the curve. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes, we
1: know.
0: Or or, or as somebody said. <laughs> somebody, somebody said he, he just didn't want anybody to catch anything. You know, he's, he's, right, he's an infectious right. disease guy. Yeah, yeah,
1: I have 10 copies of his baseball card uh, ordered, uh, the record-setting Tops Now baseball card. So I guess it'll be a collector's item because it, this, the, the prospects for the rest of the season don't look so good. And I guess Donald Trump may not have even had that opportunity for that first pitch, even if it had been scheduled by the Yankees.
0: That was really amazing, wasn't it? Uh, it really caught my ear uh, when I heard him at that coronavirus uh, briefing where he said he was going to go to Yankee Stadium and throw out the first pitch on August 15th he said that after you know uh, you know knowing that, that Fauci was on his way to throw out the first pitch at National Stadium and all the news coverage which he was watching of course noted the fact that Donald Trump is the first president uh, to uh, to not throw out an a pitch and opening day in Washington. When Washington, a sports team, going back to what was it? Is it Grover Cleveland? Who was it? I mean, no, not Grover Cleveland. It was like, uh, help me out. Um, it was Taft? Uh, Ta- Taft. I think it's Taft. Taft. Okay, Taft. all right. Yeah, William Howard Taft. So, um, you know, and, and you know, he clearly upset him uh, seeing that, and he just said he's going to go and uh, throw out the first pitch at Yankee Stadium. You know, uh, but he didn't tell his friend Randy Levine. <laughs> The president of the Yankees. He didn't tell anybody in the Yankees organization, and apparently his staff didn't know he was doing it. Anyway, um, now he's lamenting his his uh, uh, that 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 Fauci has a higher approval rating than he does, and he wants to know why why he doesn't have a high approval rating. I mean, Fauci works for him. This is extraordinary.
1: Well, what's your take on that, John? I mean, he, you know, he, 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 last week was the week of the new tone and the new stance, and he was taking coronavirus seriously. What happened?
0: <laughs> he was reading from the teleprompter. Uh, he did three days in a row tell people to wear masks. We saw him wear a mask for the second time uh, in history. Um, you know, he was saying different words, uh, but nobody really thought he had suddenly turned over a new leaf. He had clearly, you know, he'd been told, we know he'd been told that unless he can turn around public public perception of his handling of this virus and convince people that he is in fact taking it seriously, he was going to lose. And he came out and, you know, made those statements. But I mean, come on. I mean, you know, nobody nobody really thought that he had suddenly changed on this. And, you know, then, you know, now this week he's back saying uh, that he's, absur- he's upset that some governors aren't opening fast enough. I- have you heard anybody worried that we're opening too fast? reopening too fast
1: it does not seem that that is not in the zeitgeist of the country at the moment and you know we've seen it in polling that uh, the country is still not ready to reopen because they're seeing the evidence uh, of course the president's now canceled his his republican convention which to me was a signal that he got it and that's what makes this so so curious now to have him retweeting conspiracy theorists fringe figures um yeah he's Fauci you know, he, again <laughs> we're back to that
0: by the way this this woman is, uh, not exactly, uh, the nation's leading expert on infectious diseases. I think she became a doctor, got, got her license, uh, uh, within the year. And, uh, she's got some interesting theories, like about how, um, I don't want to get too graphic about all this, but she, but she says that there, she suggested that there are some, uh, some health issues that, uh, that could affect women based on dreams, uh, about demons and reptiles and, uh, and such things, um, so witches too. I think witches are in there. So um, yeah, not exactly the expert you expect to be uh, to be elevated. And then to see uh, Twitter come and delete several tweets that the president uh, had, had put on his Twitter feed, retweeted, and then to actually suspend or or at least prevent Don Jr. from tweeting for twelve hours because he actually went further than his dad and and proactively posted uh, the, the, the video. Uh, really, really pretty amazing stuff but but now Rick we have uh, the tenth member of Congress has tested positive uh louis gomert uh, louis gomert um, you know republican who uh, who tends to be you know let's say a little bit out there on the fringes um, a guy that is has been more likely to uh to mock people for wearing masks than to actually wear a mask and he the circumstances under which he tested positive are, are quite fascinating. He was supposed to fly uh, with the president today on Air Force One. And um, he got the test and, um, you know, didn't quite, uh, uh, he, he, it came back positive. Uh, so he was pulled off the manifest. Then he got a second test uh, that confirmed the, uh, the first test. Because, you know, there, there can be false positives with that rapid Abbott test the White House uses. And uh, what's interesting is where he went and where he is as far as I know right now is he's actually in his Capitol Hill office, uh, in the, you know, one of the House office buildings. Um, Louis Gomer is one of those guys, I believe, uh, who lives in his office while Congress is in session. So, you know, you get a positive test. What's the first thing you do? Hey, go back to Capitol Hill. Go right back to the congressional offices where all your staff is and where the other members are. So, I mean, who the hell knows where, where, where that's going to all go, but, uh, but it is fascinating. And you and I were talking, it's, it's, it's worth noting that uh, Herman Cain, uh, Mr. 999, who was at the president's Tulsa rally without a mask, um, remains in the hospital and um, you know, uh, uh, on oxygen and, and apparently in, in, in serious condition.
1: Yeah, and th- I mean this. Is, this this I think shows the impossibility of returning to life this summer, whether it's sports or politics. I mean, this, we're we're beyond um, you know a couple of flare-ups. We're at full-blown crisis mode in a range of states. Uh, and you know the 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 special that ABC News put on last night, John. I know you were featured Fantastic. quite prominently in it. Really like, well done, along with Dr. Fauci. I mean, just looking at the the range of of missed opportunities and missteps and miscalculations by the federal government, it is stunning. And you know, we we, we relate it back to the the political equation. Obviously, President Trump has taken a significant hit in terms of his approval rating on COVID, uh, in terms of his standing against Joe Biden. Um, all of that's a snapshot with all the caveats th- three months out. The the construct that I think about that the Biden campaign has been talking about for some time is that uh, this confluence of events starting with COVID and extending through the economic collapse and the the racial tension, these are leadership tests that have presented themselves to President Trump. And in in the Biden campaign's view, he failed them. Uh, and the public, the public view would seem to conform with that for now. And it seemed for a moment, a glimpse, a fleeting moment, perhaps, that President Trump started to get it and and recognize that unless you kill off, starve this virus, end it once and for all, do all the right things, you're not going to have a chance to, to recover the country and and recover his political standing. Um, I, I feel like he's hedging on that bet already. Uh, and, and it seems like we've seen this movie before and it happened well for the President.
0: And and we have a big guest uh, coming up uh, after the break, who who you will be talking to. Uh, uh, somebody on Biden's shortlist. I uh, I think somebody has got a uh, a real chance of being uh, the uh, the Democratic uh, vice presidential nominee. But before we turn to that, I, I the other the other story that's been out there um, has been um, the the story about the intelligence that Russia. Uh, had uh, been placing bounties on the heads of American service members and, and paying, you know, offering to pay Taliban, pay the Taliban for killing American uh, service members, a really explosive charge, um, uh, something that uh, is not, you know, intelligence is not hard and fast. I think I remember intelligence uh, being slightly less than a slam dunk uh, when, it, when it came to weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. So... You know this intelligence, you know, is is, is, is not uh, definitive, uh, but it is serious enough that we understand it was included in the president's uh, uh, PDB. Uh, he's been asked about it a, a few times now. Um, he, he avoided comment on it for for, for a few about three weeks. Uh, he was conducting very few uh, press briefings. The briefings he did. Uh, we're very short uh, obviously coronavirus is, is is front and center and then, and, then, and then you know taking a couple questions on that and ducking out now he's been asked a few times uh, most significantly in an interview with our friend uh, Jonathan Swan of Axios um, and I thought the answer I want to play two aspects of of, of his answer on this and and, and John Jonathan's uh, follow-up uh, but first uh, here's his you know basic answer on whether or not he brought this up when he spoke to vladimir putin he just he just had a phone conversation with vladimir putin so you would think that's you know this, this might come up here's his answer
2: it's been widely reported that the u.s has intelligence indicating that russia paid bounties or offered to pay bounties to taliban fighters to kill american right. soldiers right. you had a phone call with vladimir putin on july 23rd did you bring up this issue no that was a phone call to discuss other things and frankly uh, that's an issue that uh, many people said it was uh, fake news, who said it was fake a fault. News? I think a lot of people, uh, if you look at some of the wonderful folks from the Bush administration, uh, some of them, not any friends of mine, were saying that it's a fake issue. But a lot of people said it's a fake issue.
0: I mean, I'm not sure who he's talking about saying it was a fake issue, but but it was intelligence again, not not uh, intelligence is always, you know. <laughs> Not 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 exactly verified, but you would think that there could have been a chance that he could have said, "Hey, you know, can you assure me that this didn't happen, uh, President Putin?" And by the way, if we find out this did happen, you know, this is the kind of thing that would uh, that would severely affect our our relationship. But he doesn't even bring it up. But that's not the most significant part of the interview to me uh, that the president had with Jonathan Swan. It was when Jonathan
2: followed up with this question. John Nicholson, former head of forces in Afghanistan, said, and this is when he was working for you, that Russia is supplying weapons to the Taliban. Isn't that enough to challenge Putin over the killings of U.S. Well, we soldiers? supplied weapons when they were fighting Russia, too. You know, when we were when they were fighting with the Taliban went yeah, in Afghanistan... It's a different era. Well, it's a different... I'm just saying, yes. But does that... We, no, no, that I'm affect- just saying we did that, too. But how does that... I don't know. I didn't ask Nicholson about that. He was there for a long time, didn't have great success because, you know, he was there before me, and then ultimately I made a change. But you surely heard that, right? I mean, it's well known in the intelligence community um, that they're arming the Taliban, Russia. Uh, I don't know. When you say arming, is supplying the Taliban weapons. paying, or are they giving... Russia is supplying them? weapons uh, and money to the Taliban. I have heard that, uh, but it's never, re- again, it's never reached my desk. I mean, this is
0: really something else. Just, Just think about what you're hearing here. This is the president of the United States essentially echoing Russian propaganda when asked about a very serious issue. This is not specifically the bounties uh, which is something that is in question but this is Russia supporting uh, the Taliban which is pretty solid. Um, you know widely reported and, and if he takes a little bit of time and looks at those intelligence reports he'll see lots of stuff on this. And he's Instead of saying he's concerned about that and this is something that he would raise or did raise with Vladimir Putin He's saying, "Yeah, you know, well, look at the stuff we did. Look at what America did. It reminds me, Rick, of you know the old days. The, uh, the it was the conservatives, the conservative, the Reagan Republicans, who would accuse the uh, you know some some Democrats of 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 having basically a blame America first uh, way of looking at the world. Well, look at the terrible things America has done. Who are we to criticize X, Y, or Z? America has done this. America has done that." And, Rick, this is not a new development. I mean, if you don't mind, I, I, want, I want to do a little trip down memory lane. Do you mind? Um, to show that this is a pattern. If I, I didn't wouldn't wouldn't care at oh, all, Trevor would, would be with me on this. But uh, let's go back to 2017, uh, February of 2017. So the president's only been in office about a month. Uh, and he's got an interview with a guy you may remember named Bill O'Reilly. Listen to this.
2: Uh, I say it's better to get along with Russia than not. Will I get along with them? I have no idea. It's He's a killer, I though. Putin's a killer. A lot of killers. We got a lot of killers. Why well, you think our country's so innocent? You think our country is so
0: innocent? Again, blame America first. Echoing Russian propaganda, it's the United States that does bad and does you know worse. And if you think that those two were kind of isolated. I mean, I could go on, but let me just do one more. And, and I'll even go back before the president's in office, during the campaign, December of 2015, in an interview with somebody the president would later go on to accuse of murder himself, uh, but a, a guy named Joe Scarborough.
2: At least he's a leader, you know, unlike what we have in this country. Yeah, but again, he kills journalists that don't agree with him. Well, I think uh, our country does plenty of killing also, Joe, so. You know, what, what a lot you, of, there's a lot of stupidity that? going on in the world right now, Joe. A lot of killing going on, a lot of stupidity, and uh, that's the way it is.
0: Our country does a lot of killing too. I mean, it's it's amazing that time after time after time, when the issue of alleged Russian malfeasance—really bad stuff—is brought up, Donald Trump's response is to reflexively defend Russia and to put the blame on the United States.
1: And how many times in this presidency have has there been something around Russia that just doesn't smell right, something that doesn't feel right? Um, this is a presidency that obviously had the, the, the Russia probe hanging over it from the beginning, but there's so much in what the president has said and has done that has aroused suspicions. And and just just the way that you just laid it out right there, just raises the question, why is it that Putin's talking points make it into presidential statements, presidential policy decisions? The president will say he's tough on Russia, he's tougher than anyone, he loves to say things like that, but when it comes to making those policies, the fact that he, this hasn't even reached his desk, the fact that he looks concede that point, uh, and then comes back with these other talking points, it, it, is, it is mind-boggling.
0: Well, as you know, I, I wrote a book uh, recently, uh, Rick, uh, Front Road at the Trump Show, um, and one of the things that I found out in the process of writing that book um, is that Kirsten Nielsen, the the Secretary of Homeland Security, was uh, so uh, fearful of the president's response to the issue of Russian alleged Russian interference in the election. I'm talking forthcoming elections. Uh, that um, during her entire time as secretary, Trump was she she I I understand I reported that she. Only briefed him once, once on election security. And uh, I described the briefing as a, you know, national security team coming together. They're prepared to give him a thorough <clears throat> rundown of what's going on and steps they're taking to deal with it. And the discussion lasts just a few minutes. And the president quickly dismisses it and says, but now wait a minute. The bottom line is not a single vote was changed in 2016, right? So, uh, you know, and then boom, they're off. It's done. Not not brought up. Uh, so maybe the stuff doesn't bring his desk, you know, doesn't get to his desk because people don't want to, because they, they know he's going to reflexively, um, you know, respond in a way that won't be productive. And what is fascinating about this, I don't know if fascinating is the right word, but I'll use it. What is fascinating about this is that he has had a national security team from the start, different players uh, have come and gone, but... That by and large, has been filled with people who, in any other circumstance, you would describe as Russia Hawks, people that are very tough on Russia, guys like Mike Pompeo I mean John Bolton, obviously, and they're there, and you know the actual policies have occasionally been tough on Russia, tougher than Obama's policies um but the words that come out of the president's mouth um have been you know, uh, uh, effectively um, consistent with Russia propaganda and anything but tough. But enough about Russia, Russia, Russia. Before we take a break, Rick, uh, as as a way to kind of cue up our next guest, Joe Biden made a little bit of news about his uh, VP search process, right?
1: Well, it sure sounds like it. I mean, this is a weird process. Obviously, he can't um, and isn't meeting in person with a lot of the of uh, the folks on the shortlist. Um, we've seen quite a lot of public positioning around this uh, in the alternate universe where COVID doesn't happen. The convention will already have happened and he would have had his choice already for vice president, but he hasn't yet. And he was asked about that timing uh, on Tuesday and what's become basically his, his once a week campaign appearance.
2: I'm gonna have a, a choice in the first week in August. And, uh, and I promise I'll let you know when I do.
0: Wait, wait. So Rick,
1: yeah, it's pretty next clear, week? right? Next yeah, week. I, it, it sure it sure sounds like it, but i'll I'll just I'll just put a little a little dose a little injection of cold water on all of this. Uh, what I'm being told by people close to Biden is that there's a difference between choosing a vice president and announcing a vice president, and that. Um, saying he will have a choice in the first week of August may not mean that he has a choice ready to be unveiled publicly. And I'm being nudged maybe a little bit closer to the convention, so maybe more like the week after next, um, and and I'll tell you the okay, Biden good. camp, yeah, you're you see, you're good with your your I, little yeah. I'm off next
0: week, so okay. I was a little concerned about that. Well, I yeah, think that yeah, that has yeah, a lot yeah. to, to, to with do with the, the an timing. emergency
1: podcast, you know. I mean, jeez. there's no doubt that has a lot to do with the timing here. Um, you know, look, and the view in Biden land is that, um, th- there's been no compelling reason to make it faster, they feel like the president's been doing damage to himself throughout. Uh, why change the news cycle until, um, until basically you have to?
0: Okay, so Rick, before we go to the break. I'm gonna put you on the spot. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna ask you because it's unfair. Uh, I would. I'm not gonna ask you who is Biden going to pick, but I want you to give me three names, and we can know that his pick will be one of those three names. So go ahead,
1: man. That is a deeply unfair thing. Well, look, we, we've got we've got Tammy. You're the political Duckworth director, dude. We've on. got Tammy Duckworth coming up. So clearly, she's one of the names, uh, and I and I, I honestly, sincerely believe that. Kamala Harris has been the front runner, kind of wire to wire here, and I haven't seen anything that's knocked her from that perch. I still think that you know she's she is the the likeliest pick on the betting odds, uh, no matter what have you. Uh, and as for a third name, I, you know I'm I have a hard time. Distinguishing one from others is, is higher on the list. I think Val Demings continues to impress a lot of people. Karen Bass has been very impressive. Susan Rice's name hasn't been um, out of the mix. Um, that you know, I'll give you a five, and I, I'm reasonably certain that uh, that'll be one of them. No, no, no. I need three. I need three. You, you got. You got what I got. You, you you'll take it.
0: Yeah, I remember you uh, on this podcast uh, some time ago. Uh, you know, putting Governor Grisham of uh, of New Mexico on the list. And so, what happened?
1: I think the governors. I go, I put her and Governor Whitmer in in, in similar categories. They, obviously, they get higher profile because of COVID, but it also makes it much riskier because. All it takes is one bad gubernatorial decision to consume everything, force them back to their states and force them uh, to focus on things and put a lot of uncomfortable focus on their decisions. So, but look, it, it's Biden's decision alone. It, it's it's the weirdest kind of story to cover. We do it every four years, John, because whatever tea leaves you read, whatever you hear from people around them, there's only one guy that gets to decide.
0: Okay, well, I'm counting on you to break the story. So we will take a quick break. Uh, and when we come back, uh, Rick's discussion with Senator Tammy Duckworth.
1: And we're pleased to be joined here on the Powerhouse Politics Podcast by Senator Tammy Duckworth, uh, Democratic Senator from Illinois, and uh, at least for now on the vice presidential shortlist. We'll talk about that in a minute. But in the meantime, welcome, Senator, to the, to, the, to the podcast.
3: It's good to be on. Thank
1: you. Well, I want to start with the news of the day because the president gave an interview uh, just in the last couple hours where he was asked about this story that's been out there about uh, Russia uh, purportedly sending bounties to the Taliban. Uh, for American soldiers. Uh, The president is calling this fake news and he says it did not come up in his conversation with uh, with President Putin. First of all, what's your level of confidence that the original story was in fact accurate, that this actually was happening? And what's your reaction to the president saying uh, that it wasn't even worth bringing up with Putin?
3: Well, my reaction is that, you know, he continues to take Vladimir Putin's word above the uh, his own intelligence community. He's done this time and again throughout his presidency, and I just don't know why he can put, continues to put our adversary above our own people, and, and, and he's done it again here. Um, what I want is for the Department of the Army to conduct an investigation to see whether or not this truly happened and to look at the deaths and injuries of Americans for the past say two years in Afghanistan to see if any of those instances were related to bounties. And if any of those folks have actually, or their families have actually come with up with some sudden wealth, for example. Um, but the Department of the Army hasn't done that. And I, I, it boggles the mind that you would not at least conduct an investigation. And, you know, I have Gold Star families in, in Illinois, uh, one of which lost a, a son a year ago um, this month, and uh, they want to know what happened as well.
1: Based on what you know, did it happen? I know you're not on the Intelligence Committee, you wouldn't have gotten necessarily the briefings, but you are in Armed Services, you know a lot about topics like this. Is it something that you believe to be credible?
3: I believe it's very credible, yes. It's something that um, uh, would be consistent with how our adversaries act. Um, However, I would like to see more information and I would like to see that investigation conducted, which they've not done. The one briefing that we had on this in the uh, uh, top secret briefing room um, the administration sent people who had no information. They didn't send in Gina Haspel, the CIA director, for example. They did not send in the commanding general of our forces in Afghanistan. They did not send in any of the appropriate people who could give us any information. Um, so I'm very frustrated that uh, they're not addressing this and that, again, President Trump is taking Vladimir Putin's word above the, those of his own community, uh, intelligence and DOD community.
1: Senator Duckworth, I want to ask you about the situation in Chicago. Uh, we've heard a lot from the president and his attorney general just uh, again yesterday talking about uh, the need in their mind to send uh, more federal agents into cities like Chicago. Chicago's high on their list. You live just outside the city. I, I know you've been you've been very critical of what's happened in Portland, but what in your in your view is the role of the federal government uh, in, in, in getting involved in a city that is going through an absolute uh, atrocious series of, of, of violent activities uh, no one no one likes what's happening in chicago quite obviously but is there a role and, and how would you craft that uh, if you were president or vice president
3: well part of the problem that's happening in chicago is that a lot of the folks who are inmates in our jails have had to be released on uh, electronic monitoring for example um because this president has failed to address this global pandemic Um, As a result, we have uh, had to, uh, you know, all sorts of issues with um, folks, uh, uh, communities and and having to release people out into the community. Um, Listen, the federal um, government has a role of supporting local folks. If federal agents want to come into Chicago and work with the mayor, work with local police, with local law enforcement in partnership, I'm happy to take a look at that. But if you look at what happened in Portland where you actually have Uh, federal officers and we don't even know who all were involved there but they're driving unmarked vehicles they're wearing uniforms that look very military-like without any insignia that you can tell who they are and they're grabbing peaceful protesters off the streets shoving them into unmarked vans and driving off without them that's not acceptable i mean when you have the wall of vets you know we have veterans stand up and say you know what we're going to protect Uh, The peaceful protesters who are um, practicing their First Amendment rights. Something is wrong in in Portland with with this president continuing to politicize um, all sorts of institutions, whether it's law enforcement or federal agencies for his own political gain. That's simply not acceptable.
1: Another topic that is very close to home for you, just, just the safety in the Capitol itself. The, the news this morning that Congressman Louis Gohmert of Texas uh, has contracted coronavirus, um, he's now saying that may be connected to him actually wearing a mask, although he's been often not, oftentimes pictured not wearing a mask, and he explained his decision not to wear a mask. How secure, how safe do you feel from the virus in the Capitol itself, just among your colleagues? You've had colleagues like Senator Rand Paul who've come down uh, with, with COVID-19, what's the what's the situation? You all don't get tested on a regular basis, am I right?
3: Well, unlike most Americans, we can get tested on a regular basis if we choose to. I'm not as worried about senators uh, who have some of the best health care you can have in this country. I'm more worried about all the folks who have to come to work on the metro system, on buses, who have to use public transportation to get here in order to support um, the senators. So, you know, everybody from the cafeteria workers to the janitors to all of the other myriad of staff uh, who come in to work and have to come in because we are here. Um, uh, I get tested anytime that I go back, uh, to, or after I go to Illinois, I do public events, a significant number of them. I get tested right away. I live in a multi-generational family household. I have, uh, two kids under the age of six, uh, my five and a half year old and my two and a half year old. And then I have a 79 year old mom who lives with me. So I am very, very careful and I am, I am definitely nervous about this, uh virus getting being brought home to my family but we're doing the best that we can uh, but really my my greatest concern is with the working folks uh who are here you know all the staff that must be here to support senators and um you know i we could do, we could be doing so much better but this president has so badly botched our nation's response to this pandemic i, I guess magical thinking as he said it will magically disappear isn't working
1: you mentioned those two kids you have uh, two young kids uh, I, i'm curious how you're how you're handling this as a mom, as a parent, uh, without school going back uh, to, to session in, in a lot of places. Uh, you've got now firsthand experience with the, the, the crisis of daycare and childcare that so many working Americans have, um, particularly a school-age child, your older daughter. Um, mm-hmm. how, are you, how are you managing that day to day and what insights does it bring to you in terms of what kind of support the federal government, uh, the Congress can offer to working parents?
3: Well, I mean, I was always a supporter of um, childcare and a universal pre-K, for example. Uh, and, and the la- last four and a half five months have really shown me how desperately we need it in this country. Uh, you know, I can fly helicopters, but I am not equipped to teach a five-year-old to read. <laughs> I, I do the best that I can, but boy, you know, there's a lot of crying, and I don't want to do this, and I can't do this, and that's just me talking. That's not even the five-year-old. <laughs> but listen, I, I have I have such respect for teachers I always had, but now I'm willing to bow down and kiss their feet because. Um, I will tell you, it, it is a slog, you know, and, and my daughter's school, for example, she's supposed to um, go back to a, a local public school and they're saying that it's going to be all online, maybe as much as five hours of online instruction a day. How do you do that as a working par- as a working parent, how, how do you go back to your job, you know, uh, 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 whether it's in an office or at McDonald's or in a grocery store. And not be worried about your child and your child falling behind. And, and you know, all the mom guilt kicks in, right? I'm like, I'm not, my daughter doesn't know the difference between a B sound and a P sound, and I'm the one teaching her. And you know, and you, you don't want to fail your children. But on the other hand, I don't want her catching COVID 19 either. So this is really, really tough for working families who are just barely hanging on. It's why we really need in this country to come up with a, a child care um, plan and we need to come up with universal pre K. Uh, these are all the things that we need. And again, we need testing, testing, testing that is low cost or, or or almost free so that people can know when they have this virus.
1: And is there a specific priority maybe in this next COVID bill? I know the week is likely to end without um, anything approaching consensus, but is there something targeted that you're trying to get done that would address this issue? I'm a I'm a parent of two elementary age kids myself, and I'm, I'm worried about the fall, but uh, so many people are thinking about what kind of resources school districts need. They're making a lot of tough choices. Is there something targeted that you have in mind?
3: Well, in the bill that the Republicans put forward yesterday, there's nowhere near enough money for schools. And they're saying that if you want any of this money, you must go back to school full time. But then Betsy DeVos, the secretary of education, has not actually issued any guidelines to school district. And they're saying school districts, you're on your own to deal with this global pandemic. School districts are not equipped to do that. They need to have real guidelines as to what needs to be done, all of the things that they need to do, how frequently they need to clean services, How many kids can be in a particular size classroom? They need all of that support and they need the resources so that they can do it. Most schools are not big enough. Most schools are already using temporary buildings. The school my daughter was supposed to go to has two, I call them permanent temporary buildings because it seems like they've been in them for years now and the the, the actual buildings have never been built. So um, how do we spread the kids out in a school that is already constrained by size and and budget um, shortfalls? Uh, so one of my priorities is making sure we have significant money in the budget for schools with guidelines so that schools can get back to bringing kids back to school, but As much as I want my daughter to go back to school. I don't know that I want to send her into a situation where um, there might not be adequate cleaning and protection for her and, and she could get sick or my mom can get sick or her baby sister can get sick.
1: Senator Duckworth, we been spending some time recently in the in the archives, and uh, we, we noticed that uh, the first time that you spoke at a Democratic convention back in 2008, uh, when you introduced Beau Biden to the country, uh, when when his dad was uh, was on the vice presidential ticket. I'm curious how that relationship came about, what you knew of Beau, um, who sadly passed away a few years ago, and how that has uh, has developed a relationship with, with his dad, with Vice President Biden, whom uh, was was not in the Senate um, overlapping with your, your time in Congress, but um, I understand as someone that you've gotten to you know pretty well.
3: Well, I was so honored when uh, Vice President Biden and Beau asked that I be the one to introduce him. Um, as a guardsman, I think you know uh, Bo Biden was a citizen soldier, um, just as I was, someone who had a full-time job but also served. Uh, weekends and, 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 and uh, you know deployed as well. At the time, Bo was um, not yet deployed. He was on his way to getting deployed. And it just meant a lot to me that they would ask me to do that. And I got to know Bo with the work that he did um, uh, for the Reserve Forces and, and National Guardsmen and Reserve Forces. Then I really got to know um, Vice President Biden, because I served in the, Biden, Oba, the Obama-Biden administration at the VA. And both he and uh, Dr. Biden were very active as was Mrs. Obama on veterans and military families programs. So our, our, our paths crossed many many times because we were all trying to end veterans homelessness. We were trying to increase mental health care for our veterans. We were the scourge of um, traumatic brain injury. And then uh, Dr. Biden's joining forces initiative with Mrs. Obama was something I got very active in as well. So over the years, um, you know, I, I I learned and got to know this military family. Um, and their dedication to um, our veterans and and our currently serving troops, and and um, have been very very proud to have known the Bidens all these years.
1: What was that first convention speech like? Was it nerve wracking?
3: It was incredibly nerve wracking. I'd never been in a situation that was you know that many people, uh, and they walked me out onto the stage in the dark, and then they turned the lights on, and suddenly there was like, you know, all these people there cheering and. Um, I just wanted to deliver a good speech and 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 do a good job introducing Bo. um and for me it was very much um you know it it made me feel so patriotic to be participating in a right of you know in our democracy and and so um it was very exciting and finally senator duckworth when was the last time you you had a conversation with vice president biden and and
1: would you feel comfortable visiting him in person in delaware you talk about these uh, the concerns about travel. Delaware has been added to the states uh, where there's a travel restriction from people uh, coming and going from D.C. Is that is that even a trip that you'd feel comfortable making if you if you wanted to see you in person as part of a final round of interviews?
3: Listen, I you know I I'm sure that whatever protocol the Biden campaign are observing will be one that will protect anybody and everybody involved. None of us want to um, be participants in spreading this pandemic. Um, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever I need to do to serve my nation, I, I, I sort of joke and say that, um, you know, girl, some girls always fall for the drummer in the band. I fall for the, uh, you need to serve your country line. So <laughs> it's, you know, I, I, I've been to a lot scarier places and I uh, had a lot worse happen to me, but um, Uh, I I have every confidence that the Biden campaign will do everything they can to safeguard the health and well-being of all involved, just as I know he will do everything that he can once he becomes president to lead America out of this global pandemic.
1: And have you spoken with Vice President Biden just in the last week, last couple days?
3: You know, our paths cross. Uh, There there are a lot of events happening uh, all the time. So I'm not at liberty to say whether or not I've spoken with him. Uh, But... um, You know, I'm very, very satisfied with where I am.
1: Excellent. All right. Senator Tammy Duckworth, uh, uh, a Democrat from Illinois, thank you so much for being here on the Powerhouse Politics podcast. We really appreciate it.
3: Thank you for having me
1: on. That does it for this edition of Powerhouse Politics. Our special thanks to the entire team, John Carl, Trevor Hastings, Avery Miller, and the rest of Powerhouse Politics. We'll catch you next time.